0: Good evening, Mosaic, would you stand with us and let's sing praises to the Lord our God this evening.
1: Join with the psalmist and sing. You made the starry host, you traced the mountains, Wonders. The earth it is your throne from desert to the sea on nations
2: for Mosaic, and I'm so glad to be with you. If you're new, we want to connect with you in the center booth in the foyer after this. We are so excited to worship tonight, and we're in this Philippian series, and we're going to talk about how the gospel is unstoppable. Paul's in chains, and it's unstoppable, and I get to lead out for our church in that a lot of times. And tonight, we have this wonderful couple, the Lynches, that have done that for 34 years, and and some of that in Asia, some of that in Europe, and so we're so grateful for them to be home with us. So they're going to be in booth C. I'd love for you to go greet them, sign up to pray for them, partner with them. If you remember, about a month ago, I talked to you about partnering with Global Workers, and so that's a possibility tonight out in booth C to meet up and get to know them a little bit, because the gospel is unstoppable, and we get to worship together as friends and family here tonight and talk about that. And so. With that said, we also have a little bit of housekeeping to do. We have an app. I don't know if you've downloaded this app yet, but it's a new fellowship app, and we want you to get that so that you have all the information that you need. It's probably the most concise, best place to get it. If you have the old app, we have a new one, and so we've rebranded that, and so we want you to get that, and then as we're in this Philippians series, we have these wonderful devotional guides and community group books that we want you to have. I've been using mine this week. The scriptures are so awesome each day just to wake up and to think about those. We have online resources inside this app. You can get a PDF copy of the study guide if you want to. And then we have this beautiful art at the back that this community called Spectra here at Mosaic, here in Rogers, makes to glorify God through Philippians. And then Fellowship Worship has a new song that we have so many talented people. Even tonight we have Pat here leading And so that's exciting to have him to step in. Yeah, you can cheer for Pat, for sure. I think they like you, Pat. So we're so grateful for that, and it's going to be a fun night of worship. So if I can have you guys stand up again, we're going to pray through our offering prayer. We have a wonderful prayer team that has wrote a prayer offering that's so good. So let's read this together. Oh Father, giver of all, every good gift, from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring you shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick.
0: Jason for that intro. And um, it's good to see some familiar faces out there. It's good to be here at Mosaic. Um, my wife and I call Fellowship Rogers home. But every time I come to Mosaic or go to Bentonville, I see so many people that I know and so many people that I don't know. And so it's good to be here. And Jason and I used to be enemies back in high school basketball. I went to Greenbrier. He was at Siloam. And we joke about that but um, we're now friends and co-laborers in Christ. So good to be here with my friend, Jason. We're gonna sing the gospel tonight and we are going to hear the word of the Lord taught over us. And so I want to invite you to sing the gospel, to lift your gaze to the Lord and to praise his holy name as we continue to sing.
3: And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the soul.
0: on the love of Jesus Christ, who has brought us back to life. Here at Mosaic, we look at these as Selah moments. As we look at the Psalms and we see these breaks as we read and pray the glory of God and what he's done for us, his faithfulness. Just remember his faithfulness in this time. Turn your attention to him this moment of silence. thank you for your love, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your grace that you've poured out so freely. God, in this distracted world, would we be a people who can focus, who can call our spirit to attention in your presence? God, I pray that we would see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory pour out your power and love as we continue to sing and praise your name. You sing with me before the throne of God above.
4: Hosaic global workers, helping leaders thrive in sustainable Christ-filled life and ministry, and helping restart churches in the Muslim area of our city. Now hear from the word of the Lord, Philippians 1, verses 12 to 21. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of the Lord more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains.
3: But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the word
4: of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Hey, uh, before
5: you take a seat, go ahead. Turn to a neighbor, say hi. If you see someone you haven't seen yet, go ahead and greet a saint around you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, my name is Colin. Hi, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And the first time and only time I got arrested, <laughs> it happened, uh, let's see, about seven years ago, I was leading worship on a Saturday night. I was on this stage on a rehearsal. Luke Pascoe is a leader here with us, was our drummer. Great rehearsal, incredible. I mean, just like spirit moving, great worship. Mm. And then uh, my wife is pregnant with our oldest at the time. And uh, I call her and say, hey, what you want for dinner? Because uh, when your wife is pregnant, you don't choose the meals. Uh, she does. And uh, she wanted Chipotle. I got any Chipotle fans in the room? Mm, come on. And uh, so get her her Chipotle. And Luke actually calls me. They're working through some crisis. And you know, I'm just being a great pastor and shepherd. And you know, 9.30 at night on the phone. And I'm driving. And I pull into our little rental home over in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I see him. Lights go off, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I stay on the phone with Luke because I'm like, I know I wasn't speeding. I have a Toyota 4Runner that Jarrett McClellan gave me for a dollar. Speedometer kind of works, so I can't actually know what my speed is. And, uh, and I get pulled over, and sure enough, this officer comes over and says, hey, I, I just want to let you know that your, your tag light's out uh, on your license plate. And I'm like, good to know I was going the speed limit. And uh, he said, hey, I, I got to do protocol, um, and uh, can I just get your license, registration, and we'll get we'll get out of here. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So I stay on the phone with Luke, and uh, I'm talking to Luke, and uh, they come, he comes back over, gun on holster, which is never a great sign when the police approach your car, and he says, uh, Mr. Jackson, you work at Fellowship, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, I go to Fellowship. I was like, awesome. He goes, I need you to step out of the car. You're under arrest. <laughs> I said, hey, Luke, I'm gonna call you back. Get out of the car, and the officer then proceeds to handcuff me, and I say, hey, I, I, my wife's pregnant. Can I put the Chipotle on the front porch real fast? And he's like, I, yeah, I'm gonna have to walk you up there. And I was like, great. So handcuffed, walking up there. Guys, there's no greater like, walk of shame than walking to your front door and seeing your pregnant wife go. Oh. And immediately my wife thinks, you liar. It's all been a lie, all of this. And uh, she falls over the Chipotle. The officers are calming her down. And I'm like, baby, it's okay. Like, I promise I didn't do anything. And they, they come to the car and say, hey, uh, we actually, we're Bentonville Police and your warrant for your arrest is in Rogers. So we can either take you down to the county or we can try and meet a Rogers, Rogers officer. And I say, can we meet a Rogers officer? And they say, sure enough. So get in the back of the squad car. Fun experience. You ever experienced it? Maybe don't raise your hand if you have. No shame in this place. Uh, And I'm loving it. I'm like laughing and sending my my friends and texts and stuff. And my wife is not loving it. She like woke the baby up and has another one. She's growing. And the last thing you want to do as a mother with two is go get your husband from the cop car. And uh, sure enough, we get in the back of the Rogers police squad car. And uh, friends, I had not had a speeding ticket since I don't know when. And I got one and I thought the officer said, this is a warrant. He was so nice, like our conversation was great. Like we were just getting along and he's like, here you go. And I was like, sweet. I didn't realize that when it gives you a court date, what it means is you have to go to the court to figure out how much you have to pay. So if you haven't gotten a speeding ticket yet, read it carefully. I thought I was just a warning. It turns out this is a citation. You didn't show up for your court date. They put a warrant out for your arrest. So now, instead of $326 to pay for the Rogers Police Department, I get to pay $526 and go clean. And that was my first and hopefully last time ever being arrested. Hi, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. (laughs) Why do I share that story? Well, uh, because that's kind of what Paul's stepping into. This this guy knows chains. We're gonna be looking at the gospel in chains tonight. Now, I dare not compare myself to Paul. Melissa Church, one of our small group leaders and teachers around here, just said, how are you feeling? And I was like, how are you supposed to feel as a pastor when you're teaching Paul? Like, maybe we should just read it again and pray, right? But I I have a few things to add. But in in brief review, um, our mentor and church planning hero, Paul, uh, this is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent out by King Jesus to proclaim and and take the good news to Asia, Minor and Europe. And he's doing a pretty good job. I mean, the guy has three different missionary journeys. Were you here last week with Gary? There's nothing worse than being a teacher and you're teaching Paul and you have to follow up Dr. Oliver. Like when Gary Oliver gets up here and he goes, you know, I've spent 42 years feeling it. And it's like, I haven't spent 42 years doing anything. Um, He's a church planter, and he's on house arrest. Uh, My wife and I and some friends went to Rome. Anybody been to Rome? You can raise your hand on this one. It's a cool experience. We're standing in the Roman Forum, and, and one of my friends is like falling asleep in the corner. He's so bored, and I'm geeking out. I love history. And we're in the Forum, and it's just ruins, and our tour guide, finally, you're looking at Palatine Hill, Caesar's palace, right there where he'd have ruled, and he says somewhere in this Forum, it's believed by legend would have been where Paul would have been in his apartment, his house arrest. Now, there will come a time where Paul's prison is not nice and fancy, and no one's going to come visit him in the pit. Uh, this one, however, he's on house arrest, which means he has an apartment. It's not fancy. It's, it's very small. And he and Timothy and Epaphroditus and the church in Rome are able to come and visit, and um, they don't really feed or take care of prisoners in ancient Rome, so it, it was dependent upon others to take care. And Here's the Philippians sending in resources, sending Epaphroditus in to say, We want to bless you. They're bringing food, they're bringing parchment, they're bringing pens, all these things to take care of Paul. And Paul wants them to know, hey, while I'm on house arrest, the gospel's actually advancing. So he's in chains in Rome, and he writes to the Philippians. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, Nick Rowland gave a great overview. Uh, Philippi—it's a colony, that, meaning this is an extension of Rome over into the Greek world. This is a, a pretty big deal. Also, where a lot of military would have retired, because the last thing you want to do is bring these like tough, rough Roman soldiers back into the big city where there's no land and they start fighting with one another. So instead, they would send these Roman soldiers and their families over to Philippi as an extension of you are Roman citizens. Philippi counts as a part of Rome, and uh, this church in particular. It, is partners in the gospel, that they, Paul uses that word a couple of different times here. And thirdly, that they understand suffering and persecution. I mean, you have the imperial cult happening right outside their door on the daily basis. And as we'll see tonight, Christians don't get persecuted and suffer for saying God loves you. <laughs> That's fine. Christians don't get persecuted and suffer because uh, they're, they're, they have a message that, that God actually wants to forgive you of your sins. That's fine. Christians are going to get persecuted and suffer because Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is. And so Paul, throughout this letter to the Philippians, you're going to see some themes. And tonight we'll have a few, but all of it, the gospel, that term uh, gospel is going to show up about 18 times in Philippians. It's pretty important. And he says, "You're, you're gospel citizens. You're not citizens of Rome only. You're actually citizens of Heaven of of God's domain. And you are to live that out in your city. You're partners in this gospel with me. So this isn't a like, yeah, take communion and we prayed the prayer and I guess we're good till Jesus comes back. (laughs) No, this is joining Paul in in the mission that God set forth over in Acts 2 at at Pentecost. And this one, joy, it's gonna show up all over the letter. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice to choose, not whether it's happy or sadness, regardless of the feeling, we choose to live this life and the joy that Christ offers. Y'all ready? Let's get into it. So on house arrest, Paul says, Philippians one, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So we got Paul over in Rome on house arrest, Caesar's palace right there. And he wants to write to the Philippians, who would be worried, I mean, rightfully so, I mean, you might've gotten worried. Like if I'm in chains somewhere, you're like, what happened, Paul? Why'd you do it again, man? You gotta pay those speeding tickets. But Paul has done nothing wrong and they've put him in this, this house arrest in prison and the Philippians are concerned because this might actually hinder the gospel, right? Like, Paul, you don't have the freedom to get out and about in this city. You're, you're stuck in this house and he's saying, no, you have to understand what's happened to me, these chains and this house arrest is actually served to advance the gospel. And there's two questions I want to pursue tonight that I think Paul would want us to pursue tonight. Number one, what is the gospel? Number two, how does it advance? Turn to someone next to you. There's two questions we're going to ask tonight. Number one, it is what is the gospel? Number two, how does it advance? So um, first, let's have a pop quiz. I got some teachers in the room. Hi, teachers, how are you tonight? Um, it's been a while since I've had a pop quiz, so I thought we would have a pop quiz. Now, there are wrong answers to this question. So just be ready if, if that's like, hey, that's heresy. Um, just get ready for your neighbor to share. But I think predominantly, knowing the people in this room, we're gonna have some pretty good things said. So 30 seconds, turn to a neighbor. What is the gospel? Go. Whisper, 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 whisper. Cool. Some people still talking. Everyone else is going, please, let us listen. We don't want to talk. Thanks for interacting. Um... What I want to do, I I actually have a definition of my own. And what I want to do is take all those definitions we just said and test them with the scriptures. Just to bring up what is the gospel throughout the the Old and New Testament, God's God's word. First off, um, there's a cultural context to this term gospel. Um, The term gospel is not actually a Christian term. It would have had a cultural implication in Philippi that I think we need to understand. In the cultural context, first, it's a significant term. You don't just throw around gospel throughout the day. Um, it, it was a phrase and a word that had a specific meaning. It's the term euangelion. Say euangelion. Greek scholars, come on. And it means good message. It, it, it translates good news, but like we as Westerners with a 24-hour like social media, we hear news and we're kind of like, ugh, right? Like It's the thing that's on mute at the airport. Uh, it's a message. It's a good message. It's a, a, a word or a phrase that brings about rejoicing, celebration, because whatever this message contains is, is really good for us, yeah? So it's a term. Second off, it's a, an announcement. Uh, that The gospel, when we hear that term gospel in Philippi, that's actually a political statement. And so typically it would have been used as an announcement of a, a royal proclamation, the arrival or the ascension of a king. So, Or a great victory over battle, as we'll see here in a second. And lastly, a gospel was a historical collection. It was stories of that significant political figure. And so to to have a gospel, it's a phrase, good message, applying to a significant person at a significant time with a collection of how that person, what that person did and who that person is. You follow? So um, let's look at some of the historical context. So in the Greco-Roman world, that they would have used this term where there was history-making, world-shaping moments. Here's one. This is actually on an inscription found in the 6th century on a calendar where a new Caesar, Caesar Augustus, was about to become Caesar and rule over Rome. And it reads this. Look with me. See if you can pick up on some of the language. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. This Caesar, the beginning of life and vitality, and having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times, in surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him, and whereas, finally, the birthday of the God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good news, same term there, gospel, evangelion concerning him did you know that there's other gospels other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that the church has regularly existed around those other good messages. And this is just one example of many where these Roman emperors would put on display, look at the great things he's done and the great things he's done, and now peace is going to come in and through this Roman emperor. It's called Pax Romana. And it was the way to show that this leader, this ruler, this Caesar is Lord, is going to bring about justice and peace in all the land. Problem. You don't get to experience that justice and peace unless you come up under the lordship and reign of Caesar. So he rules over you and then you get peace. Roman peace was better known as Roman peace coercion. (laughs) This is Roman political corruption, right? And it's why you have all these barbaric wars throughout history with Rome, but you want peace in the Roman empire? You want peace in Philippi? Then Caesar is Lord. Compliance that is motivated by fear, intimidation, and violence is not peace, friends. It's violence. Let's call it for what it is, right? And there's two temptations for the church in Philippi that is true for every generation of the church. It's compromise. Do we give up on what we have been given, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to compromise for the good news of and conformity? That I would conform into the way Jesus is still Lord, but I'm still gonna look like, live like a citizen of Rome and Philippi. So yeah, Jesus is Lord, but it was more of like a mouth thing, not like a life thing. And isn't that true of the church today? Where we compromise on what is true in the kingdom of God through Jesus. And we come into this room and we sing the great songs and we study great scripture, but then our lives outside of this space, it's conformed to the pattern of the world. It looks very little like the Messiah. Not compromise. We want Christ-likeness. That's the goal for the Christian life is to love God and love neighbor. So gospel has a cultural context. It has an historical context, and now it has a biblical context. Look with me first. Um, If you were to go to the very first page of the Bible, you would see that God creates a garden with human beings on this earth to co-rule with him. You're familiar with that story. And then if you were to continue throughout Scripture, you would see, like in Isaiah, this, this prophet Isaiah, he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring what? Gospel. This is Old Testament, right? Like this is before the Roman Empire. So some people will say Christianity is just copying. Like the Gospels, they're just copying what Rome did. Problem. We actually have thousands of years before this where this good news is already being proclaimed about the Savior King Messiah. You know that Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? It's Jesus, the Messiah, the promised anointed king who's going to usher in the rule of God. This good news, who proclaim, who bring good news, who proclaim salvation and who say to Zion, who reigns? Caesar? God. That God is the rightful one to rule. And uh, even tonight, we have panorama happening where some of our saints right now are, are diving into a grand narrative of understanding God's scripture. And a key question throughout every page of scripture is who has the right to rule? Is it me, someone else, or is it God? And then you come to Jesus himself. I mean, when it comes to what is the gospel, please, if you can tune me out the rest of the night if you want, but don't do this to our Lord and Savior. Very first message, he says, John the Baptist was put in prison and then Jesus goes to Galilee. First words out of Christ's mouth we see in the gospel of Mark, proclaiming the good news of God. Not good news on Caesar, not good news of Rome. This is good news of the all-knowing, all-powerful God. Trying God, and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe the good news. For Jesus, it seems like, what is the gospel? What is the good news? It's the kingdom of God becoming near. That God, his rule and reign has actually come and is coming in and through Jesus to the world. Paul, we get into the New Testament. What is the gospel? Paul writes to Corinth, and if you're like, sometimes, I mean, Philippians is joyful. Corinth is like, you guys are really messing this thing up. Uh, to Corinth, he says this, for I passed on to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then Paul goes into this long exposition about the the resurrection, about the hope when Christ returns, and he says, that thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, see, no, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. It's not Rome, Philippi, it's not your citizenship in Rome and, and that rule being... Extended. No, this is the rule and reign of God through the person and work of Jesus that's being extended. God's justice, God's peace, God making all things new because his king has come. And so, to answer the question, what is the gospel? What is this message, this Uengeleon, the good message? Well, one scholar says, uh, really briefly, he says, it's what, who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Isn't that good? It's who Jesus is announcing this is who Jesus is and announcing what Jesus does. But Jesus himself would say that it's the announcement that God's kingdom is coming. The rule and reign of God has arrived on this earth in and through, as Paul adds, the, the life, death, resurrection, ascension and return of Christ. Now, Here's what happens. You get later in church history and you start to see that we start to focus less on the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And we begin to focus in on truths that are the effects and consequences of the gospel. So we find things like salvation. That is a part of the good news. That is not the good news in its, of itself. You follow me? Because if the good news is what must I do to be saved, This is how you're saved, and that's it. We miss out on so much of the good news of the kingdom of God. You follow? If the good news is limited to my personal experience with with God, and I was over here, and God's over here, and now I have a way, who is the central person within that paradigm? Me, which is true. God loves me, and he desires good things for me, but the gospel is not that God loves me and desires good things for me. That's an effect of the good news, the message that Jesus is Lord. And so when we start to focus in on the effects and the consequences of the good news and miss out on all that the good news is telling us about who Jesus is and what Jesus does, it becomes this self-centered, I can kind of do things my way Christianity. But when I'm looking at the good news as something greater, the gospel, this message that I'm so proclaiming, It's not on me then to save anyone else in proclaiming it, right? Because it's about who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we, uh, living in a secular world like we do, secularism has its own gospel. It longs for the kingdom of God without the king. So we want justice and we want love and we want hope and we want peace, but we don't necessarily want the king. And what can happen is, and you watch this happen in Christian circles, when you have some Christian circles that just focus in on God's kingdom, let's usher in God's kingdom, we can do it, it's all on us, let's go. They miss out on the holiness that's been provided through the atoning work of Jesus Christ and his death, right? On the other side, when we only focus in on his atoning death and miss out on the fact that he ascended, as in he went to be on a throne to rule and reign, then we can just take our kind of get out of jail free card, like I did with my police friend, and we go throughout this Christian life without any submission to Jesus as the rightful King that He is. It has to be in the whole scope, God's kingdom and who Jesus is and what He has done. That's the good news. There's a, a an author named um, Ross Dothot. He wrote a book called Bad Religion. He said, "What's wrong with the Lord? With the world? It's, it's bad religion." And he focused his book on on three false gospels in, in the secular world in which we live. He said, one is the prosperity gospel. You're probably familiar with this one. It's the good news of God to make you healthy and wealthy and successful. Problem, what happens when money isn't in the bank? Cancer has come back again. The marriage isn't quite holding up and none of my kids like me anymore. Did I do something wrong? Did God do something wrong? Or could it have just been that was not the true gospel? Another one he says, I like this. He says, religious nationalism. That it's political ideology and a cultural framework that tries to, almost like Rome did, to seize and bring in our kingdom and code it in looking like God's kingdom. The third one he said is the God within gospel. Everybody has a spark of God within them. So every path, just do your thing and God loves you and you're gonna get there. Was that the gospel of Jesus? See, Paul's gonna hit into this all throughout the New Testament, that when you fall into a false gospel, anathema, he says in the Greek, this should not be. And so friends, what, what is the gospel? What's the good news of Jesus? It's who Jesus is and what he does in bringing God's kingdom in and through his, his work in this life. And then Paul continues. So what is the gospel? Who Jesus is, what Jesus does. How does the gospel advance? Notice first, it advances in chains. Paul says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for who? And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That Paul's imprisonment was actually intended to silence him, to make the gospel not be shared anymore problem the good news of God's kingdom can't be stopped. And so Paul even says, hey, in these chains, this is actually advancing it. He has the the Praetorian guard. He has Caesar's personal bodyguards coming in and out and he's sharing the good news about what Jesus is doing. And now the whole palace. I mean, you got Jesus is Lord and Caesar is Lord happening in Caesar's household. <laughs> that's that's incredible. And Paul's saying, I wouldn't have had this opportunity to get in the palace, like in the room right next to Caesar without the opportunity to be in these chains with these guards. Also, you have all these Roman Christians coming into the room where Paul is sitting and you got Timothy and Epaphroditus and these Roman Christians are coming in, getting to meet face-to-face with Paul and hear the good news of Jesus and it's causing them to be more confident. But notice the circumstances in which the gospel advanced. It was in chains. It was in suffering. It was in persecution. But Paul, for some reason, he's able to rejoice regardless of circumstances, which leads us to a spiritual principle. That the good news of God's kingdom at work through the person and work of Jesus, it doesn't matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. If Jesus is Lord and is making all things new, then regardless of what I am walking through in this life, That's something I can rejoice in. I can choose joy. Like Gary said last week, because my king and his kingdom are at work even in amongst these circumstances. Um, And and there are some, some really high circumstances in the room tonight, and there's some really hard ones. We got new babies and new life, and we have those who are grieving with their child in the NICU right now. And in both of those, the gospel is advancing. Um, one of the couples that's in the NICU, I talked to him just the other day on the phone. Uh, This is a member of our body. I said, Matthew, how are you, man? He said, we're doing okay, but we keep checking in on the rooms around us to make sure that those parents and and see how they're doing and and where they are in their hope with Jesus. Because we don't grieve without hope. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a Paul in any circumstance kind of guy. Some of us, it's newly wed and new married, and we're figuring out, like, oh my gosh, we have to live together now? And I'm starting to not like you? Um, to people who know the pain and hardship of what it looks like when someone in our marriage is unfaithful to us, and the divorce and the fallout of that. And in both of those, Jesus is Lord and is making all things new. Some of us know the pain of feeling lonely and anxious and depressed, and some of us are the most bubbly, life-giving, joyful humans on the face of the planet. And in both of those, you have to hear tonight that there's opportunity for the good news to advance. Because Jesus is Lord and is making all things new is so much greater than our circumstances. Tim Keller, don't y'all miss that guy? Man, he says this. Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming, contra-Buddhism, suffering is real, contra-karma, suffering is often unfair, but contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you could imagine that we follow a king who came as a suffering servant, holes in the hands at the resurrection body, which is good news for us because I'm broken and I got wounds. But God actually steps into those areas of my brokenness to allow it to be a source of healing, not only for myself, but for those around me. The good news advances regardless of our circumstances. Paul continues in uh, verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Isn't this gross? Where they're like using the good news of Jesus to like have their own gain but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So in Rome, Paul's in prison, the gospel's going out and you got some who are like, ha ha, Paul's in prison now. I can be the best apostle around. And they're like, motivation is is purely, they want, it's kind of like a wolf among the sheep, isn't it? They're all in it for their personal gain, their their entitlement, their ego. And there's others who are just so overwhelmed by the love of God, we're gonna proclaim it. But either way, good news is something that is proclaimed. And look what Paul says. What does it matter? He doesn't care about the motivation. He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, he's proclaimed. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, this is really good news for me. Because I don't know about you, but I've had those moments where I've had like guilt. I guess I better share my faith. Jesus loves you and he's Lord. And I'm not in it at all. And I've had those moments where I'm like intentionally, like I'm hunting down that barista to see them come into the kingdom of God. And I want you to know the love of God for you. But the truth here is that regardless of the motive, through any motive, be it pure or impure, it's not about the messengers. It's about the message, which is really good news for us, because I sometimes am afraid of like, I don't What if I say the wrong thing or what if I don't clearly present it or how am I supposed to get this person from Genesis one all the way to Revelation 22? And we only have 10 minutes or you ever had the moment where they're like closing the door and you're like in college doing door to door evangelism. And they're like, the door slowly closing and you just get it in there. You're like, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? Like, you're just trying really hard to keep it going. Regardless of the motive, Jesus is Lord and he is making all things new. This is the gospel, that the kingdom of God is coming through the person of Jesus. And I asked some of our staff, this is staff, people who work here, you would consider a professional Christian. Hey, staff, what hinders you from sharing the good news of Jesus? The judgment of others. Cultural Christianity feels comfortable. This is a Bible belt, so I kind of just think like everybody just come to church and we don't really need to share the good news. It's scary to enter into a charged and emotional conversation. I don't want to add to people's church hurt, lack of confidence. What if I screw it up or I'm a heretic? Amen. Sharing from a place of guilt and fear, so not love, but fear. My pace of life, I just don't have margin for relationships without those, for those without God. I don't know how to bridge where I work, live and play to the gospel. I don't know how to get into the conversation naturally, how to make it seem like the person is not a project. Difference between um, other religions and not knowing them. Um, one, one of our staff said, will these people kill me if I share this? They were writing that from a foreign country. So your staff here at Mosaic, we are getting nervous. We are terrified sometimes to get out and proclaim the good news. Like if I'm in chains in Rome, knowing I'm about to be beheaded, I'm like, I kind of want to go back home. I don't know if I want to choose joy right now. Which hopefully you don't see this as like shame on that staff. I'm going to a different church. Hopefully you see it as, Wow, this is good news. It it doesn't matter the motive or who it's coming through because it's that good. It can't be stopped. Um, Three things just to remind you amidst your motives. One, Jesus saves, you simply invite. It is not your responsibility to change or be the salvation or savior for anyone. You just get to be the messenger that says, hey, God has done that. Would you like to be a part? So take that off your shoulders. Two, everyone is on some form of spiritual journey and you're living in a culture where most people are open to talking about that journey. So sometimes it's less about you presenting everything really clearly and it's just you saying, what do you think about Jesus? And lastly, here at Fellowship, we say that truth travels best on the road of relationships. Take the time to build relationship. Paul calls it truthing in love to the Ephesians church where you see somebody, you love somebody, you walk with somebody, and you share the good news. Jesus is Lord, and he's making all things new. He wants you to be a part of it. Lastly, and then to close, the good news advances not just in chains, and regardless of motives, Paul continues, yes, I'll continue to rejoice, there's that word, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the spirit of Jesus, uh, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul rejoices that he's in prison because he's had an opportunity, regardless of the motives of others, he has an opportunity to continue to make true what is so true for his life, and that is that Christ is, is primary. His primary aim was not his circumstances. It wasn't to get as many conversions and fill the room as possible. His primary aim was not even to like have the most pure motivation. His primary aim is Christ. To live a life surrendered to his kingship and humbly walking with him in his partnership. To live as Christ, it means that Christ is the focus, the goal, the end. There's nothing greater, nothing that we can add to it. It is just the person and work of Jesus, and that's enough. And so Paul's able to say that even in my life or even in my death, Jesus is Lord and he's making all things new. Is Jesus Lord in your life? Like, And I'm not just talking like, yeah, I prayed the prayer. I'm saying when you wake up in the mornings is the first thought in your mind, Jesus is my primary priority. As you brush your teeth, as you go throughout the day, every breath, action, thought, habit, budget, diet, internet history, day by day routine, your relationships, your job, is Christ Lord over all of it? And if so, then it's this life of freeing surrender to the love of God and his kingdom. And so I can rejoice. And, and even in my death, I, I worship the king who conquered the grave. So even in death, I have nothing to fear because what is death to the one who holds the keys? So to conclude, Gary Oliver last week, so brilliant. He said, information's not gonna do a lot. This is where Gary steps in and he's like, I've done this many hours of psychology and I promise you, information doesn't create change. And our goal for you is not to just inform you, this is what was happening in Philippi. Our goal for you is transformation into the image of Jesus. So I want you to take a moment. How are you doing as a partner with the gospel? Here at Mosaic, how's your partnership with the good news of Jesus? There's some of you in this room, um, one of you got a promotion. And when you got that promotion, you stood up and asked, hey, is it okay if I share my, personal testimony and how important God is to my life. And in front of a bunch of Walmart execs, as well as other folks that you were leading, you shared your faith. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for being a partner. Some of you have walked through death and loss of a child, and you know what it's like to to sit into that grief, and you have seen that circumstance as a way to come alongside and partner in the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you have taken the time to invest deeply into relationships with your coworkers and with your city so much so that when they have a funeral, you are the first person that they call, well done, partner with Jesus Christ. But the whole book of Philippians, what we're trying to go for here is encouragement, not shame, not guilt, encouragement of joyful unity that even in suffering, that we get to live as citizens loyal to King Jesus. And this is straight from the Philippians book. What would it look like to live as if everything in your life really serves to advance the gospel? Everything, good or bad. And how would it change the way you react and respond to people and circumstances? And how would it change how you pray? What I wanna do now is if you would, go ahead and stand. And I remember Sam Hannon did this in a service a couple years ago. And if you feel comfortable, would you just put a hand on a chair that's empty near you or around you? We're not praying for the chair. And we're not even praying that someone necessarily come to that chair. What we're doing is this is an empty seat where we want to see the good news of God's kingdom at work in a person's life. And so if you would, would you just take a few moments to intercede, that is to pray on behalf of people in our cities that do not know the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we'll sing about it and get out of here and go share it throughout our week. Take a moment and pray.
0: Pray this one more time together. And heal my heart and make it clean. Paul, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause, as I walk from earth into eternity. Or, in other words, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Lord, we thank you for the gospel coming to us, and so would we answer the call to go and to tell others of the grace that we have so freely received that has been freely given to us. Now freely we will give. So God, would you fill us up? Would you send us out? We pray. So now we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have a prayer need this evening, uh, there's tables as you walk out. We'd love for you to fill out a prayer card and we'll be praying for you this week. Go in peace in the love of Christ.